thanks for that reading um, and good morning to you at the tab. Richard's asked me if I could preach for you once more and this time not in person. It was so good to be with you last week, um, but this is just a, a recording. Um, can I say, by the way, that Tessa and I and Rufus and little Lydia and Tabitha, we just had a great time. We felt very welcomed um, by you. We, we did get quite tired by the weekend, um, but it was just great um, to be among you. And I think there's a real sense of love and church family that we, we picked up. Um, and it's clear that God's been at work in you. Sometimes you just need someone to sort of come in from outside um, to tell you that. But God has begun a good work in you and he will bring it to completion. And it was great to just be able to see something of, of his work and how you're persevering in hardship. And um, I was really encouraged to see how many people came out on the Sunday, despite all the restrictions. Now, with all that preamble, um, I thought I'd share from Psalm 73. Um, so let me pray and then I'll share with you. God, our Heavenly Father, thank you that your word is timeless and rich and good for us and that you're powerful and by your spirit you can take a word that was spoken years and years ago and actually transform our very hearts by it. And we ask that you do that in Jesus' name. Amen. So Psalm 73 really helped me in the very early first few weeks of the pandemic. I just found it rattling around my mind and particularly verse 25 and 26 which say this whom have I in heaven but you and earth has nothing I desire besides you my heart and my flesh and my heart may fail but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever and that's all about um, a Christian who who is treasuring God in hard times it was written by Asaph actually many years before but it especially re resonated with God's people um, in exile when in 597 they were marched off by the Babylonians and all that they'd enjoyed for centuries and really taken for granted of a land and security and freedom was just in a moment swept away. It feels familiar doesn't it actually? It was an appalling time for them made all the harder I guess for believers by the questions that it raised. How could God allow something like this? What was he doing? How can we say, at verse 1 of the psalm, that God is good to Israel? The songwriter admits himself, verse 2, that in his experience he'd almost fallen from faith. Because on the one hand, verse 3, wicked people seem to prosper. You know, they got on fine without God. And on the other hand, believers seem to, at least at times, find no benefit at all from their faith. And so he says in verse 13, you see it there, surely in vain. I've kept my heart pure. You know, what was the point of it all? Now, I find that very encouraging honesty. Maybe you're surprised to find that written by someone who wrote a bit of the Bible. But it is very easy for any believer to slip into feeling this way. For, you know, for example, in our current situation, it's very easy for us as we, we look on and we see that a keen Christian, just as much as a complete atheist, can get coronavirus and die from it and face or face financial ruin there's, there's one there's one family in our church that's probably facing that um and and we see actually strikingly throughout the bible that faith in god never did shield joseph from injustice or job from uh great grief or jesus himself from death and so we, we we wonder well surely in vain we keep our hearts pure what's the point of it if it doesn't if it doesn't actually pay off maybe there's somebody listening in today who feels that particularly bitterly all those years of praying and of attending the tab 
year by year. And now God has allowed this thing to happen. And you think, well, what was the point of it all? It hasn't made me happy. It hasn't paid off. Psalm 73 doesn't give us all the answers. But it is an example of somebody without all the answers learning to treasure God again. And how that makes all the difference. So we're going to see um, what does it mean to treasure God? Why does that matter? And how can we start to do that? Well, with the Bible, um, with the Bible open, I hope you can still, still see the passage. And um, first of all, what does it mean to treasure God? In verse 25, whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. In other words, there's no person, no whom, and no object, no thing that we desire as much as God. Search all of heaven and earth. And there's nothing as desirable, which isn't, of course, saying that Christians don't, you know, really like other things. I mean, there are loads of things that we love. There's nothing wrong with that. The, the key, I think, is that word besides. Earth has nothing I desire besides you. So you place your greatest treasures and loves beside God. And it's not that they pale and are unimportant at all, but that he outshines and is most important. Because, of course, he made them. Think of the... Think of the beauty of a mind that could create bluebell woods or blackbird song or, in fact, the, the beaches in Lansing and the beauty of the light just sort of dappling and reflecting off. We, we, had a, we had just a lovely time and we caught some great views. And you think, think of the beauty of a mind that could just create that without borrowing from anyone else. That must be a phenomenally creative, lovely, brimming with life sort of mind. Well, that's the mind of God. Think of uh, the love of a being who, when he creates in his image, well, what did he make? He made families and friendships and hugs and words and a, uh, an overwhelming desire to be with, with one another that's so strong that actually we, we almost can't function when we're not together, which is what we're all finding, isn't it? Well, that, that one who made us in his image, that's the triune God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit, from whom all families and love flow. Think of the value of one who buries gold and diamonds in the dirt. Think of the glory of God, the, 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 the holiness, the perfection, the goodness. Earth has nothing I desire besides you. And whom have I in heaven but you? And here's what this is saying. We travel from, we, we, we learn to treasure God as we travel from the things he's made to him, the source. And we find that he outshines them all. Well, three starting applications for us. First, is your Christianity more in the third person, him, or in the second person, you? Is it more him or you? Um, people who treasure God aren't satisfied to only talk about him. They want, want to very, very quickly, like the psalmist, talk to God. I desire you. If you find yourself doing that. Um, second application question, um, perhaps a question for the children if you're listening. If you went to heaven and God wasn't there, would you want to be there? That's a hypothetical, a never going to happen question, but it's a good one, isn't it? Do you know what the psalmist would say? Whom have I in heaven but you? No, I don't want to be there if God wasn't there. And third question, I wonder if God were to take away every good thing that he's given us, and we were only left with him, whether we could even imagine being satisfied. Well, that's where verse 26 takes us. Uh, my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Now, what do you think of when you think of a portion? F 
food, right? Uh, homeschool last term in our house was, was fractions, cutting up cakes. This is definitely my kind of, of school. And Lydia, our youngest, is pretty sharp, sharp on halves to make sure that she gets her portion size. So the psalmist is sort of talking portion food. And we got to enjoy um, some great portions of John Muneer's home-cooked um, roast potatoes and pork. It's really good. Food and instant pleasures, they just, you know, they have a very strong pull on us. I guess that's why people stockpiled in the early days. It's why Esau in the Bible famously traded his the blessing of God for just a little pot of stew. Asaph says in contrast, God is my portion. My heart needs him more. Do you know the other way that the Bible talks of portions? How God apportioned the land of Israel as their inheritance. It was a glorious, wonderful land for a bunch of nomads to receive. And yet Asaph says, do you know, God is our portion, our lasting place forever. Only Christians, of course, talk like that, don't they? Because the heart of Christianity is a God who gives himself. So imagine um, Christianity, I'll just find a box here. Imagine Christianity is a box. Now, you, you know, you might expect to find on the side a price tag. Do this, pay this, and then perhaps God will give you something. But no, actually, the wonder is that we find on the side a gift tag. Dear sinner, paid for by Jesus, love from God. In other words, Christianity is not God demanding. We earn something from him. It's him giving something for free. But what's he giving? Well, the wonder is that, you know, as we as we open it up and we look inside, we find actually, <laughs> this is just full of a load of junk. We find, we find God giving himself. It's the great wonder that the father sent his son as Emmanuel, God with us. And Jesus said that eternal life was to know him. And so... Uh, to achieve that, Jesus dies for sins, Peter says, to bring us to God. And then the Holy Spirit is sent. So God gives himself as a portion. Now, of course, probably for many of us, Christian things began with a desire for God's other gifts. We sensed our need of forgiveness. We wanted hope in death. Maybe that's why you're listening today. Uh, we like the church family. But over time, we need to move from those gifts, they're, they're good things, we need to move from them to the giver himself as we start to say, God is my portion. That's what it means to treasure God. Now let's think, why? Why does that actually matter? I wonder if you can see the answer in verse 26. I'll give you a moment just to have a look. It's because everything else fails, right? My flesh and my heart may fail. Living for financial security, to retire well, to you know, pass on an inheritance. Well, that could all be swept aside. It could be next year, couldn't it? Uh, living for career and status, and we may soon be just very pleased to be able to pay the bills. Living for ac academic recognition. Teenagers, maybe you're doing really well at school. But actually, the exams could be pulled in a moment like they were for many people. Living for social admiration. And now we can't even see each other. No one can laugh at your jokes at the moment, can they? Living for health and then we get sick. What makes the difference between someone who falls apart at those points and someone who can pick themselves up? Well, there are lots of things that make the difference, but, but one of the key things is whether a person has something else to live for. 
And usually that's something like family or friends, which is a much better thing to live for than, than of course, um, career. But the truth is, family and friends fail too. Every heart and flesh will fail. One writer says this, this is a very sombre quote, so just brace yourself as you listen. Consider this, if you live a long life, it will tear you up to see the people who matter most to you put into the ground one by one. If your greatest source of contentment and love is your family, that will be intolerable. But if you learn to love God even more than them, your greatest source of consolation, hope, joy and value will not be diminished by grief. Indeed, the sorrow will drive you to drink deeper from him. You will not find yourself empty. You won't always be hardening your heart in order to deal with how your losses tear you up. For the love of God can never be taken from you. So you see, when we treasure God, there is this anchor to our lives. Or as verse 16 puts it, God becomes the strength of our hearts, this sort of inner strength that can weather any storm. Because though the storm takes everything else away, it can't take him who is most fundamental. I'm sure we'll all have come across fair weather Christians. Do you know what I mean by by, by fair weather Christian? I think it's very understandable. You know, I used to follow Jesus, but then he let X happen or he didn't answer my prayers about why, or I felt very let down by Z in church. And then I thought, well, what's the point? You know, verse 13, it was all in vain. It didn't make me happier. So I'm going to ditch it. There's a person who never did really desire God, just the things he could give them. And that is a great temptation for us all. In some ways, um, lockdown and this pandemic has been a helpful test of that. Do I desire God for himself? Or was it really about the social buzz? Or the way church meetings just left me feeling? Or the significance I got from serving on that team? Did you see why it matters so very much? That we treasure God. Well, we thought about the what and the why. Um, as we close, how can we come to treasure God more? I hope that you're asking that question, how? If I could be very honest, when I was um, prepping this um, through this psalm, everything was going okay. And then this was the point at which I stopped. I just couldn't think what to say. And the reason is that the reason I stopped is because we all know that actually you can't change your heart. You can't change what you treasure, right? By yourself. At least we have very little control over that. And verse 21 and 22 actually describe a heart that is grieved and embittered and like a brute beat. There is, there, there's, a, there's a sort of madness about our heart sometimes, isn't there? Now our only hope, therefore, is verse 23, for the, the right hand of God to take hold of you. You can't change yourself. And so, and so we pray, Lord, have mercy on me. I'm, I, I'm so often at the mercy of my circumstances, feelings, instincts, chemicals. Please today, tune my heart to treasure you, the pearl of great price, the one lasting portion, the desired of heaven. I remember um, praying a little bit more like that as a teenager back at youth events. We used to have um, songs that played on loop like take the Lord but uh, take take the world but give me Jesus. Do you remember that one? Or better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. We used to sort of sing away at these various youth events. Now I think certainly there was a little bit of naivety um, about those. There was a sort of hope of a silver bullet that you know if we were just sort of zapped by God then suddenly we'd be able to treasure God for the rest of our lives. And actually this psalm 
says that the treasuring God is something we need to keep learning and keep learning, keep learning. But the desire and the urgency was good, I think, and I feel rebuked by my teenage self. When I wonder, did you last pray, take the world, but give me Jesus? When did you last spend some time in prayers of adoration? To the words, Lord, I love you, ever come off your lips. And when, like Asaph, you don't actually feel those desires for God, do you sit back and go, well, I'm just not a very emotional kind of Christian, really, but, you know, I'm sure that's okay. I don't really feel anything. Just a bit, I'm just sort of plattering, really. I don't really care. Do Do we feel like that? Or do we pray, Lord, help me. I don't desire you today. I need to. It really matters. Help me. And we can't change our hearts, but God can. And a key way that he does that, look, you know, it's a huge encouragement that he does for this, 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 this Christian Asaph who's about to throw it all in. And the key way he does it is, is in verse 17. Can you see it there? The turning point is when Asaph enters the sanctuary, the temple. And I think if you could have gone on a tour with Asaph of the temple, I think you'd see two key reactions as he walked in to this temple tabernacle. First, wow, the gold. Um, Because everything from the furniture to the walls was covered in gold that spoke of God's rule as king and his glory as the one of greatest value. And you'd have thought, wow. But then the second reaction immediately would be, yuck, the blood. Because blood from sacrifices was spilt everywhere, which spoke of God's holiness and his grace. So holy, that imperfect people cannot approach him. And we deserve death. And it it should be our blood splattered over the walls as we try to draw near to him. But the animal died in people's place so that God could say to us, come, I've forgiven you in his amazing grace. So the, the, the temple sanctuary was there to help recapture people's hearts to what was actually always true about God. And that, you know, they just needed to go so often because like Asaph, they were so fickle. They would go again and again and again to see God's rule and glory and his holiness and grace. Now you might say, well, Barney, thanks very much for telling me all about this tabernacle sanctuary. But in case you hadn't realized, we don't have one of those in Lansing. We might be called the tab, but we're not actually a temple or a tabernacle in the same way. No. But in the New Testament, we're told we have something better than that Old Testament building. Because Jesus came to be our sanctuary, our meeting place with God. And as we spend just a little bit of time with him each morning, and we reflect on his power and rule in heaven, of which the temple was just a little picture of heaven, we think, wow, the gold and glory, our majestic Jesus. And then as we reflect on Jesus' death, yuck, the blood, we, we see the rule and glory and holiness and grace of God, a, a grace that would shed his own blood for us. We've got to spend time with Jesus. Go to the sanctuary, in other words. And I find myself um, going through a day and thinking, Do you know, is it really worth it? When I find myself drawn by other things and I feel very little desire for God, I suddenly often realise, Barney, you haven't picked up your Bible. You haven't been to the sanctuary this morning. What if you're similar? When we open our Bibles, 
and say our prayers? Are we aiming not just for you know a bit of information? I've done my reading tick. But are we aiming to see the desirability of Jesus? What am I reading today that makes me love him? Content with him, in awe of him, desiring to be with him. I wonder if you've read your Bible in that way before. Read and pray until you can say, Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My heart and my flesh may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. I'm going to pray for you. God, our Heavenly Father, thank you for helping me from this psalm. I know I need to keep learning the lesson to treasure you above all things. And I pray that for um, the brothers and sisters over at the tab. Thank you so much for your work in their lives. Thank you for their stories. But I know that like Asaph and like me, our hearts very quickly drift to other things. We weaken in our desire for you. Please, Heavenly Father, re-stir that desire, that sense that you are enough for us. We pray that because we really urgently need that at a time of need, but actually all the way through our lives, we are going to have everything else stripped away as time goes by. We need to treasure you. In Jesus' name. Amen.